So we're going to head that way here this morning, and we're going to be here for the next few weeks in this same uh, way of thinking, okay? And you'll be thankful for that. I'll just tell you right up front, this is a one-point sermon. Your bulletin has three, but today is one. And, I mean, we can go through all three, um, but this is, would be rather lengthy. And so rather than trying to hustle through and drop out stuff, uh, I just wanted to start, and then we'll continue next week, and then uh, March 12th as well. So um, 1 Corinthians 16, that's where we're going to be. So if you want to turn there, go ahead. Uh, we're going to read verses 5 through 14 in just a minute. Um, but we're going to continue this thought here that we've started with our morning studies. And that's the idea of, of a love that endures or this law of love and what it looks like. Okay, And so we're going to focus here on this phrase, do everything in love, and, and what that really means. So with that being said, everything sounds kind of strong. Does that word make you nervous at all? Do everything in love. See, we've been taught to kind of stay away from those words that are kind of strong like that. Like, you've heard the phrase, never say never, right? And some people have written a song about it. Don't start singing it. <laughs> All right? But we understand that that's kind of a clause that we, we may want to stay away from just a little bit because we don't know everything, right? And so uh, I've shared with you before, you know, my wife shared when we were dating that she would never live in Illinois. And so now we've been here like 14 years almost. And so now she says, I'll never live in New York City or Hawaii, okay? If that's how it works, just say, I'll never, and then it works out that way, right? So I'm going to start saying, I'll never have hair. <laughs> or I'll never have eyebrows, like you ladies were teasing me about here, right? Or I'll never be extremely wealthy. So a few years from now, when you come visit my family in Hawaii, at our estate with my lavish hair, you'll know how it works, all right? I'm going to start saying never, all right? Now, we say that just because we don't always know. So sometimes we'd say, oh, I would never do that. Well, you don't know that you wouldn't do that. Maybe if you were in that person's position, you might do the very same thing. You might even do worse than they're doing because we don't know. Right? So we want to stay away from never say, or I would never say that, or I would never approach the situation that way. You don't know that. Neither do I. So I hope that I wouldn't, but I can't say never. Right? So that seems to be kind of a strong phrase. Um, we want to be more inclusive, kind of is what our world wants to be. Don't eliminate people, but make it where more people can be a part of it. However, this is one of the main problems people have with the Word of God. Do you know that? This is one of the main problems that people have with Jesus. Because they speak to being exclusive and being absolute, right? None, all, always, never, impossible, nothing. I mean, there's all these words that you'll find in your Bible, and people go, that's kind of like saying never say never. You know, why don't you just say sometimes or quite possibly could be rather than saying must? You know, and say suggestion instead of saying command because that's a little more appealing. People don't feel so as coerced or forced. And yet Scripture never backs away. And so people have problems with it. John 14, 6, Jesus says, you finish it, I am the, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Then he says, no one. 
or no man comes to the Father, how? Except through me. Does that sound exclusive? There's how many ways to God based on Jesus? One. And who's it? Jesus is the way. Okay? So people don't like that. They would rather say, just say you are a way. Say that you're part of the truth. That people can find some life in you and say that you are one of the avenues to get to God. But Jesus never said that and neither can we. Right? We can't back away from what is true. We've got to be careful how we love people with what's true. But we can't back away from it. And so some people have problems with that because it sounds really exclusive. John 15, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And we're the branches that have been connected to the vine. And Jesus says, John, 5, or John 15, verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a pretty strong statement. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet he never backs away or tones down or tries to qualify that statement with some small print in our Bibles. It's just the truth of the matter. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 says, All who live godly lives will suffer persecution. Who will? All will. So if you are a follower of God, follower of Jesus, you're going to find yourself being battled because of that. It's a promise. And so there's not like a, a small group of people who will never face trouble because they love God. That group of people doesn't exist. All, everyone who follows God, all who live righteous, godly lives can plan to experience some form of persecution or suffering. The New Testament also says, there are none righteous. Then it goes on to say, no, not, that's right, no, not one. How many are righteous? None. I mean, that's a bold statement, right? What we'd like for that, never say never. Say some are righteous or some are okay or some are better than others, but don't come at us and say none are righteous, right? So we have some trouble sometimes with these statements that are exclusive, and so I could understand your hesitation maybe when you look at the title of this message wondering if God really means what he means or what he says. Do everything in love? Really? Everything. Is there some qualifications to this? I mean, are we hoping that somewhere we're going to find our excuse to justify why we can be anything less than loving at any moment? Right? If we're hoping for that, it's not going to happen. All right? Do everything in love is as simple as it gets and it is as difficult as it gets. Do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 16, we're going to find Paul making this claim to some people who are a lot like you and I. All right? So we're going to talk about the love of God here, but just a little disclaimer right up front, and you know this already, you just need to hear it from me. I cannot begin to tell you or unpack for you what the love of God is like to a point where you would fully understand it. That makes sense? I don't fully know the love of God, and neither do you. Now, I've heard it said this way. Think of our, let's think of ourselves as an eight-ounce glass. So later today, we're going to go in the back, and we've got some cups back there, and we're going to have something to drink in those cups. Some of those are eight ounces. Some are 12 or 16 or whatever. Let's say that we're an eight-ounce styrofoam coffee cup. Okay? And let's say that the love of God, instead of having water in the oceans, it was the love of God, and it filled to the same level as the oceans. If God was to tilt on edge the oceans and you and I open our mouths this morning and try to take in the love of God, could we contain it? No. That would be a form of spiritual waterboarding, right? 
We would be drowning in the love of God because we can't even begin to grasp what it is. And so I'm telling you right up front, I'm not going to explain to you fully what it is. I cannot. Neither can you say it back to me. But with that, let's go to work and see what we can understand about the love of God, what it means to do everything in love, and that'll be uh, March 5th and 12th. But today we really want to get focused in on as much as possible what is the love of God. And also we sung about it this morning. You remember the love of God, that song that says, instead of the ocean being filled with the love of God, if it was filled with ink, and every person on the planet had a quill, and the sky was a writing tablet, if everybody, all they did all day every day was dip their, pink, their, their pen in the ink of the ocean and just wrote about the love of God, right? there wouldn't be enough quills, there wouldn't be enough ink, there wouldn't be enough sky to contain what it would take to describe the love of God. Okay? So let's just prove it here. Give me a descriptive word for love. When you think of the love of God, go for it. Shoot. John 3.16, okay, so that would be a descriptive verse. Yeah, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Give me an adjective, a modifier for love. Like, I'll give you one for example. Sometimes we say it's amazing. There's a song, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Unconditional. Measureless. Indescribable. Are we done? <laughs> The thing is, we could throw out every positive adjective there is in the book. And we could throw it out over and over and over again. We could throw it out the way the Bible does. When it says truly, truly, or verily, verily, or holy, 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 to like amplify it twice or three times, like there's nothing like it, and it still would fall horribly short of explaining what it is. Like I say, God, your love is amazing. It's just like I don't understand your love. How can I even begin to give it some sort of modifier? Now don't misunderstand me. I know the love of God and I want to know it better. And there's a desperation in my soul that wants to know Him deeper. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. Do everything in love has got to start with us understanding the love of God as much as possible. So 1 Corinthians 16, you've got Paul writing to people here. And listen, they're dealing with a lot of stuff in their church. He gets to the end of this letter. And just like you and I do at the kind of the end of our letter, we may recap some of what we've talked about. And so he's going to write in a few phrases at the end. And one of the last phrases he's going to mention here is this idea of love. All right? Let this love be something that never ceases, never ends, that's always active in your mind and always accessible through your life. Listen, you and I have got a responsibility. We've got a responsibility as much as it depends on us to know the love of God. To know it fully if we're ever going to get to Two and three, we've got to be able to do as much as we can with number one. All right, so let's try to get there. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 16. This is the end of his first letter to the Corinthian believers. After I go through Macedonia, I'm going to come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Just giving them some travel instructions. He's going to talk to them about some people who are coming likewise. Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit but I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I'll stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. And so when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. 
No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. And I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. But he was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. So be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Here's kind of these summary words. And then verse 14 says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. Do you think that Paul means everything when he says everything? Do you think the Word of God means everything when it says everything? Yeah. So we're going to see this is our standard. All right? This is our standard. And I do not have the right to lower the standard. You ever want to lower the standard? Right? I mean, taking a class in school, like, I wish 70 to 100 would have been an A. I'd have been a straight A student. Maybe 65 to 100, let's be honest. <laughs> I'd have been a straight A student, right? That's lowering the standard to my level. You know, when, when I was in middle school, playing basketball, and you know a whole lot about my, how much I enjoy basketball, but this was before the days of portable basketball hoops. And so my dad told us over and over again, boys, just shoot, dribble, play defense. No, Dad, we want to dunk. It's two points, son. That's all it is, two points. I know, but I just want to dunk. So he finally determined that he was going to let us dunk. We couldn't do it on a 10-foot goal at that age, so he built one, this big steel pole he buried in the ground, and he fashioned this adapter that would let this hoop move up and down. And he put this rim on it, this breakaway hoop that you could dunk on it and you could hang on it. Anybody could hang on it. And we had several people at one time hanging on it. Remember the very first time we got on this thing, my friend Casey, we called him Quake, just to let you know. He's about five foot seven or eight, maybe 250, 260. Not thinking, he just runs up and dunks on this thing, and his legs swing around the pole, and he comes and he lands, and his eyes are this big. He's like, I just couldn't let go. Like, well, I held you, right? So we spent the rest of our time at home trying to rip that goal down. And you ask my dad, he'd tell you that. I mean, we would just dunk, 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 all right? So we would play dunk ball. That's what we called it on a nine-foot basketball goal. Everybody else, college pro, they play dunk ball, but they play it on a 10-foot basketball goal. So what did we do so we could play? We just lowered the standard, right? Rather than shooting for it up here where it's hard and we got to work for it, we just brought it way down here where it was easy because anybody could do it right here. Right? Sometimes when it comes to Scripture, we want to lower the standard to where it's easy for us to excel. I can't do every, I can do some things in love, but there's just some things I'm not going to do in love. And so let me lower the standard to where it kind of meets the criteria of how I want to love. And then I can feel good about me and think that God's going to feel good about me as well. But Paul's not going to do that. The Word of God's not going to do that. It's going to continue to say over and over and over again, do everything in love. Do everything in love. So we've already talked about the love of God, an eight-ounce glass trying to be filled with the ocean. That's a ridiculous picture. Nobody would ever attempt that because it's impossible. It's impossible as well for me to try to explain to you the love of God. So that's why we're calling this to love without limits. All right? There's no limits. Uh, there's no boundaries. There's no measure, as you all have said, to the love of God. So if we're to love as He's loved... Trying to learn here today, how can we do this to love without limits, all right? Number one. How many numbers are there today? 
Okay, just make sure you know, like 20 minutes from now, I don't want you looking at me going, man, he's nuts number one still. All right? That's all you got today, number one. All right. To love without limits. We've got to get to know the love of God as much as possible. All right? We could have said this a couple ways. Get to know the God of love and get to know the love of God. And we're going to talk through both of those as it relates to number one here today. To love without limits. We've got to get to know the love of God as much as possible. So if this is who I am supposed to be, do everything in love. If I am to be someone who loves without limits, then it begs me, it demands of me to get to know a love that has no limits. Right? Do you have limitations on your love? You have people in your life where you'll say, I'll go this far but no more. For some people, it's about that far. This is about as much room as I'm going to give you, and that's it, right? We've got to love with limits. And so for me to be able to love as God loves without any limits, I've got to get to know a love that has no limitations. It's a real challenge. And so let's try to work this with a scenario, and then uh, we'll apply this to, from our text today and from different scriptures as well. I want to illustrate it this way initially. Let's say that we've got a mutual friend. And that mutual friend, uh, despite what the news said this week about not being able to find a good place to eat in St. Louis, went to a new restaurant in St. Louis, and they said it was amazing. You guys heard that, right? Okay. You've eaten in St. Louis, right? All right, that's a ridiculous comment. Whatever, that's baiting for some reason. So let's say there's a new restaurant. We've got a mutual friend that went there. That mutual friend's not here today. And that mutual friend said to me, man, this place is amazing. Their food is spectacular. You've got to go try it. You've got to go eat there. So maybe you and I have a conversation later and you say, hey, Corey, have you been to that restaurant yet? I would say what? No, I haven't been there, but do I have any knowledge of the restaurant? Okay, I've got some knowledge about it. I've heard it. I've got some knowledge about it. I've heard that it's good. I've heard it's everything that it said it would be and more. I just haven't had it myself. Okay, so there's that kind of knowledge that is separate from personal experience. It's true whether I've had it or not. It's true whether I've tasted or not. But then there's the other side of that. And so let's say before that conversation you and I had, I took the advice of our mutual friend and I went and ate there and it was just like they said. It was amazing. And then you came to me and you said, Hey, Corey, have you been to that restaurant yet? I would say, Yes, I've been there and it's just as advertised. Right? This is my experience. This is personal to me. Like for me to say something to you other than that makes me a liar. So there's truth that I can know, but then there's truth that goes beyond my knowledge that becomes my literal experience. So two things going on here as we're talking about getting to know the love of God as much as possible. We need to get to know what is the love of God in its informational state, in its truth state, and its fact. But we've got to progress beyond that as well as it is mine. It's owned. It's sensed. It's lived. It's my reality. It's where there's something deeper than knowledge. And so one way to know the love of God is to know what's true about God. And so some of this was part of our morning study here this morning, if you weren't a part of that. Here's what it is. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? Love. And so 
Love is not just what God does. Love is who He is. Whoever does not love, they don't know God because God is love. And so it's who He is. So I need to know some truths about the love of God. Right? But I also got to keep in mind here what I said earlier. I've got to know right up front that I cannot fully comprehend the love of God. If you set out in your life to fully know it, thinking you're going to get your cup full, all right, your cup may be full, but you'll never exhaust the love of God. Okay? We never get to the end of that yellow brick road where we finally figured it out. Oh, this is the fullness of the love of God. Right? It's just something that we can continue to grow and grow as we continue to know and know. So the first thing is we've got to know that God is love and His love extends beyond my ability to know. Okay? I can know His love, but it just extends beyond my ability to fully know. But the second thing is to know the love of God means it's my very real reality. So I'm not just passing along information. What I'm passing along is my experience. I'm not just passing on words on a page. I'm passing on the living Word, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm passing on what's alive in me, what's changed me, to you. You're not asking when you ask me, does God love me, to give you words on a page. You're asking me to give you what God has done for me to show me that He loves me. You want something true. Not that knowledge isn't true, but it goes beyond that. See, I can say that God is love and not know the love of God. People do it every day. They teach it in classrooms at all sorts of levels. God is love and know nothing of the love of God. Is God love? That's true. That's a fact. That's a statement that is absolute. And yet you can know that truth and never have experienced the love of God. Whoever does not love does not know God because... Because God is love. And so it becomes our very real reality. And this is where we then could go along with the psalmist, right? So Psalm 34, 8, you know this verse. It looks good on a cookbook. Let me tell you what, it looks a whole lot better on you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I get it. The recipes in here are fantastic. And we thank God that we can eat. But it looks a whole lot better when people know the love of God and they're living out His goodness. So the psalmist says, come on, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. So it's not just that I've heard that the Love of God Cafe is good, right? The Love of God Cafe that opened up over here in St. Louis, you've heard it's real good? I've heard it's amazing. I heard if you eat there, it's everything that it says, it'll, that it says about itself. It's not just that I can tell you that on the menu there's a peace that passes understanding. It's not just that I can tell you, yeah, on the menu there is, there's this joy that's just kind of unspeakable, that's, that's untouchable by life situations. It's not just that I can tell you, yeah, on the menu, it says that there will be some comfort that will help you through any situation. No, it's that I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good, that His love is good. And so therefore I can say to you, from my own experience, that there is a peace that passes understanding, and it's good because it's been my very real reality. See, that's who God is to me, and I hope that's who God is 
to you. Peace that passes understanding isn't just words in a book. It's not just a truth to memorize. It's, an, it's to be lived. It's a reality. The Word of the Lord is living and it's active, right? I mean, what else do you read that brings on this sort of hope and confidence and courage and boldness and transformation? See, we don't go here for information. If we do, we're missing it. We go here to be transformed by who is true, not just by what is true. Both are necessary. But to settle for one is just like saying, I can recommend you to the restaurant even though I've never eaten there myself. And let me tell you something. There is a joy that goes beyond my ability to express. Have you experienced that? Have you eaten that before? Your situation stinks. Life is hard. It's not at all what you planned, and yet within you there's a song. How can that be? It's because the God who poured out His love into my heart is a real God. The God that I have been crucified to, just as Paul said in Galatians 2, lives where? In me. It's not facts on a, on a book, in a book. It's more than that. It's transformational. It's living. The love of God. We've got to get to know the love of God as much as possible if I'm to do everything in love. You know why? Because I cannot show what I do not know. I cannot give, offer what I do not have. If all I have is a memorized verse, God is love, that's all I can give you is that verse. But when I have lived under and in with the love of God, now I've got something to give you in return. He is patient. Psalm 136 says that His love endures forever. Did you know that? If you don't know that, read that psalm over and over again. It says it like 26 times. It's the tagline of every verse of that psalm. His love endures forever. 1 Corinthians 13, love endures all things. Never fails, never quits, never wins. Faith, yeah, it matters for a while. Hope, yeah, it matters for a while. But love will remain for how long? Forever. It's the greatest of all these things. And so we've got to get to know. And thankfully we can taste and see. We can go to the Love of God Cafe and find that all of this is true. Now this just isn't in 1 Corinthians 16. It isn't just a little tagline, do everything in love. This is a mantra for Paul as he writes and travels from church to church to church. In the New Testament alone, 260 times you'll find this idea of love and doing everything that we can, everything we do within the love of God. Getting to know the love of God as much as possible. So let's go to one of these. Ephesians chapter 3. You can follow along if you'd like here on the wall or you can turn in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 3. Just flip a little bit further beyond 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians if you'd like to follow along there. Midway through that, that little letter you'll find this verse here, these verses right towards the end of that chapter. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. He says, this is what I'm praying for you, Ephesians. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is this love of Christ 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Notice as we went through there, did you find Paul praying, God, give him bigger buildings? Did you read that? God increased the attendance within their walls. God blessed them with more salvations, more life change. Lord, fill their offering plate to where it's overflowing, where they have bigger bank account, where they have more money. Bless them with greater opportunity. Bless them with greater influence. Bless them with better programs. Is that what Paul prays for? He doesn't say any of that. He says, there's one thing I'm going to pray for you, and this one thing is that you would be rooted in the love of God. Rooted in the love of God. Like, it's what is home for me. We like to build roots here, don't we? We want to stay. We want to stick. We want to feel like this is home. And sometimes we say we're just passing through, but we live like the only thing that matters most is what's here. And Paul doesn't pray for anything here other than that those who are here would be rooted in the love of God, that you would know it, how long and how high and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's the idea that I can know in part, but I cannot know in full. And it's also the idea that I can know beyond just my head, but my life can be changed, transformed by this love of God. And so he prayed, just as he wrote to the Romans, this love of God that's been poured out in our hearts is what I'm praying for you Ephesian believers. We got all kinds of stuff we want to do. We got all kinds of ways that we measure success. And Paul says, I pray that you would know the love of Christ. And I pray that's all you'd know. See, when we get that right, everything else just seems to fall in place. If we're going to love without limits, if we're going to do everything in love, we've got to continue to grow in this understanding of our love of God, which is this limitless love. So do you know that God is love? 1 John 4, 8, right? You know that verse? We just talked about it today. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God because God is love. Okay? So we know, 1 John 4, we know that God is love. Do you know 1 Corinthians 13 says His love never fails? It endures. You heard that before? I would say that you've probably heard that before if you've been in church for any length of time. Psalm 136, we referenced that earlier. Uh, that it lasts forever and ever, this enduring love of God. You know, I hope that you do. I hope that you have correct truth. Seems like an oxymoron. I hope you have truth. I hope what you're hanging on to is accurate based on what God says of Himself. Don't misunderstand me. My experience does not trump what's true. It just helps me live in the fullness of what is true. It reaches beyond my mind to my soul. And it changes me. If you know that, what I wonder is, do you know and do you have a love of God that kind of passes understanding? When's the last time you were caught up in how much God loves you? 
I mean, just like smoke's almost coming out of your ears. Like we were trying to comprehend love. Like the depth of your love for me is insane. It's reckless. It's scandalous. Like it seems wrong that you love me the way that you do. And we do what we can, right? We sing songs and we try to mean what we're saying and we're trying to be sincere in heart and I get it, but it's just like I can't get there. Sometimes the word on the wall doesn't express what's in my heart and there's not a word on any wall or in any book that expresses the love that I've experienced. All I can say in return is like it's amazing or it's awesome or it's unconditional or it's measureless or it's indescribable or it's wonderful. It's marvelous. That's all I can do, but it doesn't begin to touch what's really going on within me. And you know how that is when you're married to someone you love? And you're talking with that person or you're writing them a letter and you give them a hug and it's like, I'm trying to show you everything that I feel going on in here. Right? But it falls horribly short on this card. These flowers don't show you squat as it relates to what's going on within me. Like, what I feel towards you. That's how I feel towards God sometimes. Like, I can throw every positive attribute or adjective at you and it doesn't begin to touch what's brewing within me. But I've got a long way to go as it relates to understanding His love and also loving Him in return. I just wonder, do we know the love of God that passes understanding? Let's say it this way for a minute. And just to preface this, this is totally hypothetical. Right? For our youth in this room, we're not planning on this happening. We're not expecting this to happen. I'm just trying to put us in a scenario. Okay? So don't panic or get worried or afraid. Let's say this morning that a group of people walked in here and they bound all of us up. And so we're tied and there's nothing we could do. You know, we've got our little MacGyver minds that's over here thinking, like, I think if I rub my hands hard enough on this, I can break this. And, you know, we're trying to be superheroes, but to no avail. And let's say these people took one of our family and they gathered us all in the hall where we're going to gather later today. And they began to hurt one of the members of our family. Would that bother you? And whether it's you or your child or somebody else or somebody else's, would that bother you if that was going on? And they forced us to watch. And so they begin to kick and hit. And they've got instruments that are blunt, that are sharp, and they begin hitting and hurting this individual with these instruments. And you hear this person crying out. And they get this person to a point where they are unrecognizable. See, when I walked in today, you'd look at me and go, oh, that's Pastor Corey, because you recognize me. Can you imagine being beat to a point, abused to a point where somebody is completely unrecognizable? We watched as they were stripped of their clothes. We watched them cuss at this person as they all laugh and enjoy this brutality. We watch them spit in their face. And then comes the option. 
And someone comes to us and says, hey, listen. All these people who are bringing this brutality to your family member, one of those people is going to die. One of those wretch, those wretches, those evil, those perverted, vile people is, is going to die. How would you feel? Would you feel like, yes, why not all of them? Raise your hand if you would look at that person and say, and I'll die for you. The person that you just watched brutally abuse your loved one. Would you die for that person? The person that bound you, that forced you to observe, would you die for that person? You get what I'm saying? I don't understand the love of God. It makes no sense to me for a father to watch a son be bound, be accused beyond measure, to be brutally beaten beyond the point of recognition, to watch him be pierced, mocked, cussed, stripped, spit on, and to willingly give his son for me I can't get there. I don't know how else to tell you. I sat over this portion of the message for a long time. It was just like, I don't understand the love of God. We sing about it and we talk about how He loves us and we've got all these adjectives that try to describe it, but I'm telling you, none of those words that you shared today helps me better understand that kind of love. That's intense. That seems wrong. That seems insane to me. Then the same kind of love where the son could have called thousands of angels is what he said, right? I could call thousands. I could be delivered from this. We read it last week, Galatians 2. But he gave himself for us because he loved us. You know, the father said, I will never flood the earth again. And he gave us the sign of that covenant with a rainbow. He never promised that He wouldn't electrocute, electrocute us. He's got the storehouse of lightning. I mean, He could have lit up the earth brighter than the sun. And if I was the Father, that's what I would have done. How dare you treat my son this way? That's what I would say for you when we're in the hall and watching you being abused. There is nothing I've got for you but hatred. How dare you disrespect this person? They're my beloved. To look at that person and go, I'll die for you is beyond me. Do you see why we can't do three points today? Because I don't get how I do everything in love. I can say it and it's kind of a trite little statement. Do everything in love and it looks good on a screen. But to own it, I, just, I am not owned by that. And I'm supposed to be. That's who I am. I want to lower the standard. God, you don't understand what they've done to this person. And he says, no, Corey, you don't understand what I've done for you. And I'd bow my head and walk away and I'd have to say, you're right. 
I don't get it. And I don't understand why you did it for me. But I know it. I've experienced it. It's my reality. It's what's changed me. Lots of songs I could write when I started thinking about this, but the one that my mind ran to was, What wondrous love is this, O my soul? You guys know that song? What wondrous love is this that would cause the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? I don't get it. I don't understand that. And yet that's no less true. And it's no less full. And it's no less inexhaustible. It's no less measureless. Just because I don't get it doesn't make it any less true. Just because I can't fully know it doesn't mean that it cannot change me and be my very present reality. As I think of how I've been loved by God, it begs and it demands me to learn how to love like God. And I want to know this love better than I've ever known. I want to be ravished by love that would look a person in the eye and say, Father, forgive them, rather than say, sick them, God. Never say never, okay, but do everything in love. That's the standard. That's the bar we're aiming for. And to fall short of that in any way is to be unsuccessful. It's to be sinning. We'll get into that more next week, but that's my standard. If I'm going to love without limits, Paul says here, you've got to get to know the love of God as much as possible. Get in the Word and let the Word get into you. Pray and wait. And pray and wait. And keep praying and keep asking God to create in you a love that you've never known. Right? It's not, God, we pray for more people. Of course we want to see the gospel flourish in our areas. But that all begins with the love of God flourishing within us. And so that's my prayer. You want to know how to pray for Corey when you look at me today. God, help Corey know your love better than he's ever known it. Take him deeper, higher, wider, longer in the love of Christ. Or take him to that place that just surpasses his ability to understand. And then let that begin to shape who he is. So then he'll go out and live and love just as you have without limits. You know, think about all the ways that God has been good to you. Has God loved you? If He has, meditate on that. Write it out. Go back and revisit some ways that God's been good, where you've known that He's loving. Go back through His Word. Look at how He reminds us over and over again that He is loving, that His love endures. Take, take some time there to focus on Jesus. Now, I want to close here today with just this question. 
Now, if I were to ask you, well, two, do you want to be a loving person? Do you want to be known as a loving person? Is that one of the ways you'd like people to describe you? And he or she, they're a loving person. I'd like that as well. Okay. What's the most loving thing we can do? You don't have to answer me. Just think about it. What is the most loving thing we can do? Maybe it's love our spouse. Is that the most loving? Or love our children? Maybe it's to love somebody that's in a desperate way. And you give of yourself just kind of even in a reckless way. Beyond your means, you help somebody. Is that the most loving? Maybe it's to adopt a child that's just uh, been abandoned. What's the most loving thing that we can do? I would say the most loving thing you and I can ever do is the exact same thing that Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God as much as possible because then everything else will begin to work itself out in love. Sometimes we want to hurry. I want to help my neighbor. And by the way, we don't have to have our cup full in understanding before we can go love other people. I'm not saying that at all. But there is nothing greater that we could ever do than to love God. But I want to teach, or I want to build, or I want to encourage, or I want to, okay, love God first. Love God most. And then let everything else fall into place.